Why is it so hard to let go of my addiction? We're so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive in your relationship. Guys, welcome to the Betrayed, the Addicted, and the Expert, a Beyond Enough production. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. And he's definitely an expert. You've been working to help couples with their extreme challenges for like 15 years, right? Yeah, a long time. And I'm glad that I'm here with you guys sharing your vulnerable story. And I hope that it helps our listeners as well. Absolutely. And if you need some help getting started, we have a free resource over at beyond-enough.com forward slash step one. And that's one, the number. It provides the first key steps to healing your relationship, regardless of how tough things are right now. All right, guys, let's roll. All right, before we answer that, let's hear a review here. So it says, really great info, a must listen. says, this podcast has been so amazing in my life. Sometimes therapy can be overwhelming and you can get lost in the emotion of betrayal, trauma, and recovery. These episodes have been a way for me to wrap my head around bigger issues by making them bite-sized and easily understood. They actually give action steps and recommend tools that you can use to help yourself along. It really is a great show. Thank you. That's very kind. Absolutely. We try to break it down, give you some tools, um, some things that that can really change your life. So I'm I'm glad to hear that. That's that's great. So. All right. I want to, I want to jump in here because, um, I remember Kobe telling me this idea of, um, giving up an addiction and how hard it was, how hard it was like this pull. And it was kind of mind blowing for me because I thought it's ruining your life. Like it's ruining us. Why, why on earth are you having a hard time with this? And then I realized, it's definitely a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different. And the best way for me to describe this, um, it is wow. This is it's it's a it's it's a deep rooted. If you ever want, okay, this is a deep rooted issue. And if you've ever been vexed and totally furious and and outside of your mind with confusion as to why your partner cannot let go of give up their addiction. Uh, then I really want you to listen. And if you're the person who's like, why can't I do it? Then I super want you to listen because we're going to speak to that because it is anything but simple. Yeah. Like it's a lot of things. One of which is not simple. The, the, okay. So the first part of this episode, we're actually going to talk up the addiction. So, and here's the, here's the, here's the, yeah, here's the reason why is we, I want to illustrate um, why it's so, so difficult. Ashlyn, what you said, I've, I've heard many times. And from an outsider's perspective, it's like, dude, um, you know, put the porn down, let go of your affair partner, stop going to the strip club, because you're about to lose your freaking family, right? Like major, huge life consequences but you still are stopping at the strip club every night on the way home from work. Like what, what are you doing? Well, it's, it seems crazy, but it's not as crazy as it seems because the addiction, the addiction is the frenemy. It's your friend and it chews you up and spits you out and it's your enemy. You heard that right. Everybody (laughs) heard that correct. (laughs) So, 
Kobe, your your addiction. When would you say it started? Uh, I, the hook was set when I was seven. When the girl across the street, my neighbor across the street, was my age, sat me down on her parents' bed while they were gone, of course, after school one day, and showed me her dad's like, you know, huge stack of of uh, Playboys. Okay, that was on his headboard, and and that's when the hook was set, and it was like my mind was kind of fixated from there. When am I going to see it next? When am I going to like? Because I would think about it, and I would go there in my head. Well, but why would you think about it? Why? How? How was the hook set? What did you feel when you saw those things for the first time? How was so, it for you? Yeah, that's a really important question. It was euphoric. It was um, enchanting. It was consuming. It was pacifying. Mm-hmm. It took me out of the moment that I was in in that stage of childhood, and um, it allowed me to. Um, it just allowed me to escape. Man, listen, and for, listen does, to does what it makes sense for you. Oh my gosh, pacifying. So so it it uh, it soothed you. Yep. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah. It 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 pacified. It um, helped me to escape. It was a little reprieve from from life as a seven year old, and um, it was something that uh, that allowed me to just deal with what was. And you know, every and I want to be super super clear on this is I'm the second of seven, oldest boy, and I think the big and my mom always worked in the home caring for kids with special needs. And she was super, super busy because she was running from her own stuff. And so was there any abuse in, in our home? No. Was my mom always in the role of firefighter so that she would go from one fire to the next, like taking care of, you know, this hungry kid or that dirty diaper or, you know, canning these beets or, you know, whatever, like making this bread, you know, all those things. Yes. And as a byproduct of her being so busy, she was emotionally unavailable and so there was there was no small degree of neglect that I dealt with emotionally. So you're experiencing emotional neglect, and from your mother, from yep. a woman, and then you find pornography, and sex pornography. It's like whoa, women make me feel good. This yes. this is feel I feel powerful. You get an erection. You feel powerful. You feel like a man. Um, you feel desired, it's exciting, it's, it's exciting. thrilling. My heart races. You know, I feel, you know, as you know, as a as an adolescent, as a as a child, I feel, uh, you know, adrenaline run through my body, and it's yeah. like, whoa, what is this? And that's when my my radar began to to hone in on anything of the like. Yeah. So really, it was it would spike a little bit when we get like the Sears catalog, the JC Penney catalog when I was a kid. Yes. That's how old I am. Ne- never Ooh. heard of the JC Penney catalog. <laughs> I hear that. I hear about that daily. Right. Uh, JC um, Penney has no idea what they did with their bra. Uh, no idea. My gosh. Yeah. Oh wow. Had no idea. <laughs> but, but the truth was, yeah. is that was like the, that was the little hit of adrenaline of reprieve that pacified me in between moments of access to playboys to actual porn and um and and so it was it was just little bitty things like that and then and then uh, looking back it's like all of a sudden i'm in my head as a kid 
because yeah. I'm thinking about and, and, and reliving those moments. And so this hijacked cruise control uh, thought process, this subconscious thought process starts to take over. And so even as a kid, I'm lights on nobody home because I'm in my head. Okay. So, and fast forward. So seven years old, you start, you know, really preoccupying and trying to figure out how to get this lust hit, how to, how to get everything that you just described from yep. it. Um, whether it's validation, whether it's a reprieve, what, whatever it is, you start to, you start to get older, you're 12, 13, um, hormones start coming. Um, and, and also when you're, when you're 12, when you're 13, your brain is starting to develop the skills and the ability to cope with life, to cope yeah. with emotions. And, and, but you got this thing that is very easy to escape. You can, you can take it and you can just escape with it. Correct. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was, it, it became, it became a tool. Yes. It really became a tool that I began to lean on. It's kind of interesting too, because I'm just thinking back to all the times in the morning, you know, at 7am, my mom would, would drive me to circle K uh, where we grew up in Spokane and uh, she'd give me like 43 cents or whatever it was. And I'd run into the, to the, to the circle K get, you know, a big fountain drink of Diet Coke for her. But that was the way my mom started her morning. Like she needed that kind of a jump start, yeah, yeah. right? To just like, I got to get going. I got to deal with all this. And so that was like, the, there was this little ritual that allowed her to have a reprieve. Right. Okay. Right. And, and, um, and it was kind of the same thing for me in the sense of like, wait, this is like a little reprieve. It's like the ritual of looking forward to it, of thinking about it. It was the thing that got me through hard moments, lonely moments, mm -hmm. um, where I was by myself or whatever. And I want to be really clear in as much as I've described my, um, my early years of childhood with my, with my mom. And of course my dad worked, um, long hours and he was overnight in another town once a week. And, you know, he, he did what he had to do to provide for the family. Right. But that meant that if I wasn't causing any problems and I wasn't on the radar, I was just another, you know, body to feed and, and, uh, and so forth. Right. And I was relied on to help out too. But it was exactly that for me. It was this little happy place. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know. I had no idea what was going on. I had no clue what that was about. Right. But that became to be, uh, that, that became a really, very real thing. Let me draw just a really quick parallel to this as far as like a personal experience from the Ashlyn you've already referenced hmm. earlier in this. And that is, um, I had a baby blanket growing oh, up and that was off video. Oh, it was. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, you're going to get it now. Everybody who didn't hear it, but I had a, I had a baby blanket and I, I still remember that the blanket had a yellow satin edge and it was white. And I think it had like black cars or trucks or something on it. And I remember I was probably about kindergarten and I remember the day, I don't remember having it lots, but I do remember when my mom took it from me and she said, you're too old for this. Hmm. And for whatever reason, I remember when it was taken away, but I don't remember all the ways that it was there for me. And, right. you know, the, the, the blanket for sure offered comfort. It offered a, a soothing um, moment for me when I needed it. And it was always part of the bedtime ritual to help calm me down from the day and um it was always there by my pillow right at, at the head of my bed and so it played this really interesting role 
of comforting me, of soothing me. But it was like this rite of passage for my mom in my mom's head to say, okay, time to stop being a, a time to be a big boy. You're going to give this up. But there's, okay, so this, this comparison, Curious. I want to kind of illustrate a difference here. Um, your blanket did comfort you. It was soft. It was cozy. It provided safety. Um, your, your addiction to porn, addiction to lust, it comforted you. It created this happy place. But then it starts to do this other thing, this other like tricky little thing. And what it is, is like it provides this safe place, gives you all this arousal, this dopamine, this feel good. You can avoid boredom and stress and, and, uh, and, and avoid feelings of rejection and abandonment. All those things. Look at, look at all that it's doing. How wonderful. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> but, but wait. But wait. It does one more thing. And it says to you, you're broken um, your nobody will love you as you are. Um, so yes, people you need, really knew you. <laughs> if people really knew you, yes, you need me. You need this mm-hmm. safe place. And in fact, you need me even more because now you feel horrible about who you really are. So you really need to start escaping mm-hmm. your life. And I'm here for you. I'm here for you to to, 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 to escape here. I'm, I'm always available. Oh, but by the way, I'm going to make you feel horrible at the same time. Is that true, Kobe? Uh, one gazillion percent true. But like it was, it was very, very well said. And I, Ashlyn also knows this story. Um, it was the, geez, it was probably, I don't know, six, nine months or whatever it was into after starting, um, specialized therapy after being in, your foundations class, Brandon. And I remember having a conversation with my sponsor and it was 60 minutes long. And that was very unusual for us. But this particular time, I was really, really struggling with, with accepting my new life. And I was, I was so riddled with fear that the first 30 minutes of this 60 minute conversation, I was like, I'm afraid. And he's like, what are you afraid of? I'm like, oh, I'm afraid of like, what's life going to be like um, with Ashlyn? What's sex going to be like with Ashlyn? How am I going to deal with life itself? Um, how am I going to get, um, how, how am I going to handle and manage stress and life and so forth? And um, he would provide answers. He would just listen to me as I would like whine and moan. And, um, and I was so resistant and finally something happened at 30 minutes and in my head and what settled on me was this feeling of acceptance. And I, for whatever reason, I just, I just accepted that, that there were a lot of things that would be different moving forward as I let go of my addiction. I also accepted that they were very scary to me because they represented some unknowns that I was not skilled enough to deal with at the time that, that were very fearful for me. They were fear ridden, all these unknowns. And I didn't have the tolerance for discomfort that recovery had, 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 you know, now provides to, to handle those things. And I remember, I remember just sobbing. 
Yeah. Brandon, I just sobbed. I remember you sobbed, like looking out in the backyard and thinking, what, what's wrong? What's going on? Something's not good. Kobe's sobbing for, you know, what, 20, it was 30, 30 minutes. minutes. It was, the, the it phone. was the other 30 minutes. And that was, that was me accepting um, what was, that was me just really um, venting my fears, my anxiety, my worries, my stresses. And it was also me grieving yes. the loss of, of my addiction. Yeah. And, and that was a really critical point for me in recovery because it was like this emotional release. Cause I legit like there's, you know, you get teary eyed and then you can like cry. Like I was crying. I was, right. I was, I was crying. You never that. cry, Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys hear me. You guys hear me tear up. You guys hear me sob, but you don't hear me like wail. Right. I can get, I get wailing well, mostly in therapy, but that day it was different with my, with my sponsor. But, but that was a really important moment for me, Brandon, because, because it was like redoing the moment of the blanket. Right. Where my mom is like, Hey, look, this is, this is kind of where we are. And this is what this represents as far as letting go of the blanket. What are your thoughts about it? Right. And, and, and so mom and I could process through it in a way that would, would allow me to prepare to be a quote unquote big boy so I can let go willingly. Right. And without reservation about that. Right. But it was the same thing with this. It was just like, wow, I'm just going to fully accept that this is what it is. And I'm freaked out. I'm so scared. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how you say that, Kobe. You're illustrating it well. And Kobe's not a one-off weird guy here. Um, every addict that I've worked with um, ha struggles to, to let go of the addiction. And it's interesting. A lot of the guys will come in and I'll say, are you ready to be done with your addiction? And they'll be like, yeah, duh. And then we'll get into the work and like what it means to let go of that. And they hang on. And we, we do we talk about ambivalence a lot and what ambivalence is, is when you're fence sitting, you're, I want recovery, but I also don't know if I want recovery. And the reason for ambivalence is just this, it's hard to give up the addiction. Um, and so to go full board into recovery, that requires, that requires saying, I no longer want my addiction in my life. Um, did you have a comment, Kobe? I'm thinking of when you talk about that radical honesty and acceptance, it sounds very similar to that, but with self, yes. um, having that, the, cause I think it sounds scary to admit that you want something that's definitely affected your life in a negative way to say that out loud. I'm guessing is hard. <laughs> yeah. That. And, and, and let me just kind of be, let me give a little more um, context with what that looked like for me. Uh, so when I would, when I would travel for work and I would be gone for three and a half weeks, sometimes as much as it was at a time on another continent, when I was jet lagged and I was working 18 hour days in a totally different time zone, sometimes a different hemisphere. And yet I'd have to be on, like I'd have to be the company man and be on. It was just exhausting. It was, it was, it was exhausting. And I would be so tired, I'd be so jet lagged, and I would be um, missing Ashlyn um, and the girls. But guess what was there in that hotel room in Insistent that one city? There. It yep. was always there. Addiction Anywhere was you always went. there. Yes. And along the way, guess what was there? Like from one 
uh, airport terminal to another. Yeah. And from one hotel room, entertainment center, entertainment system to another. Yeah. yeah. And um, it became like without really understanding it, that's how this addiction became my ultimate best friend and my absolute, absolute, without question, worst enemy. It was the first, it was the first thing there that would that would soothe and comfort me when when Ash and I would have a fight, when I would, you know, be struggling with, you know, issues at work, trying to get things done, stress there. I mean, we we didn't have kids for eight years because we just couldn't get pregnant. And so the the weight of fatherhood and my inability to provide, all those things were just weighing down on me. And addiction was always there. Kobe, you make a, a really important point, which is on the other side of addiction, like recovery, there's uncertainty. Like in addiction, there is certainty. There, there's control. Hmm. You can control your environment. It's, it's you can, known. It's there. It's known. So when you choose, and it's, it's so counterintuitive to say, okay, I have this security blanket. I have this thing that makes me feel good automatically. I know I can, I can even control, um, I can use my addiction to control the level of vulnerability I have with my partner because I can push them away by acting out. I can, and so like there's control mechanisms here with this addiction. On the other side of that, what recovery is, there's not that control. And God's will is on the other side of that. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen in your life? How are you going to deal with feeling sad or angry or lonely or scared or bored? It, you know, it's, it's, it's uncertainty. And so one of the hardest parts of getting out of addiction is actually choosing into that yeah. rather than falling back into this thing that you've, you've conditioned yourself to use for that certainty. Yeah. And, and the other, one of the big accelerators, one of the big springboards, if you will, that led me to being willing to step into recovery was, was really connecting the dots on how insidious, how treacherous addiction was. Yeah. It, it was the thing, it was like the first thing that was there to comfort me when I was sad, when I was lonely, when I was alone, when I was hurting, it was also the first thing to heap the shame on in spades. It was yep. the first thing there to say, friend of me, you, yeah, you suck so bad and you're never going to be forgiven. Yep. This is, this is put another, uh, you know, put another, you know, mark next to your name on the chalkboard, add another rock on top of your head because it's just calculated. You can't stop. So that means every, from, from the very first time that you looked at porn, the very first time you acted out until now, there's just marks next to your name. And it's more evidence of how broken you are. Okay. That was the narrative that would go through my head. And that same thing that comforted me. So that was just like, I wanted to rage against Talk that. about an abusive relationship. <laughs> Dude, the, epitome, <laughs> you know? the absolute epitome of. Yeah. Here's another thing. Before you rip on the addiction too much, let me tell you another <laughs> thing that do, it does for you. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great excuse. So, so it, it, it's really hard to give up the addiction when you're scared of your light. So what that means is if I don't succeed at work, if I don't succeed in my marriage, if I then the reason is, is because I, I masturbate and look at porn. The reason is because I have this addiction. 
Now, if we remove that addiction, you're not masturbating, looking at porn, acting out with the women, doing all this stuff, then where's your excuse? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, guys will self-sabotage and keep the addiction, their frenemy around because at least they have that to blame um for the reasons why they're not getting what they want in their life yeah that was totally me it was um it was another way to to not to and and of course i want to be really clear none of this is like conscious oh it's subconscious i want to be really really clear like (laughs) i might have been a total douche and i was in douche mode for a long long time but i i was just never that thoughtful premeditated it was just like this this thing that took place automatically and and that's and and again that's another part of the insidious nature of addiction is these subconscious thoughts snowball yeah they snowball and that's why um over time you hear about people who 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 start down a road of addiction no matter what the substance no matter what the, the 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 issue because they're having a hard time but then over time it's like i can't I've got a, I've got two brothers, one of which has really struggled with addiction forever, um, not forever, but probably 25 years. And I remember stories of him saying that he would drink so much he'd pass out. Then he'd wake up and realize he was awake, and then he would go, he'd reach right for the bottle and drink as much as he could till he passed out. Wow. And so he was numbing the pain of even being awake yeah being alive being alive being alert like being conscious of like what's happening and um and and so that was like a subconscious thing i mean he was consciously doing it but it was like that's how deeply rooted addiction is and that's how insidious and how treacherous it really is because it's the first thing to comfort it's the first thing to just uh to to just it's the ultimate fetter to drown you yep. in the sea of shame. Well, um, having said all this, um, addiction, addiction sucks. And the reality is, is addiction is a, it's a disease. It's a mental health disorder. Um, and when, sometimes when I say those things, I hear back, don't make an excuse for their behavior, right? Um, here, here's the, here's the other reality about addiction that I know is that you can, you can grieve your addiction and you can say goodbye. Um, you can, you can realize you can say, thank you. Thank you for all this stuff that you've done for me throughout my life, but no, thank you. I, I really, I'm done. And working recovery is an option your addiction doesn't have to run the show. It doesn't have to control your life. It doesn't have to tell you who you are. Um, recovery is absolutely possible. But in order to get into recovery, you have to be willing to let go. Let go of a lot of these things that it's doing for you. Yeah. I just want to um, recognize for Kobe, though, you know, as he's mentioning, and it could have been triggering for either side, the betrayer or the betrayed to hear, you know, really what was going on. But I hope it brought some empathy of a seven-year-old boy and what's really going on. Um, That's exactly what that did when I first started asking more questions about why you were showing up the way you were. 
and it didn't excuse behavior, but it made a lot of sense. And it gave me a lot of compassion for the differences that we've had um, for why we are the way we are. I will say this, Kobe mentioned the narrative that, uh, you know, we call it spike narrative and that it was feeding you your addiction, mm -hmm. right? And we all have that narrative anyway, but the addiction was just like <laughs> compounding it, you know, on a daily basis. I want to make sure that you listening understand that yes, grieving the addiction is part of the process and really letting go of that and, and stopping and finding that sobriety. But there's so much more beyond that, that it's the, the unraveling of those beliefs, right? Like you wouldn't be here had you not grieved, but also kept going. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's, and in fact, this came up on a, on a group call today. It's, it's understanding that I've had really very little tolerance for discomfort in life because I've always, as soon as I registered any kind of un discomfort of any kind, any kind of conflict, I would go to that happy place in my head. And sometimes that was with porn and sometimes it was with thoughts and memories of it. Right. Either way, I would not be there and I would want to escape and run from. Yeah. And so if you consider why the hell is my partner acting like well, acting like this? Why are they acting like an adolescent? Why are they acting like a child? I really believe in moments that I am because my emotional growth and maturation, yeah, exactly. It's like stops. Yep. It's like, how am I going to learn to take responsibility if I never had to? Because I didn't, anytime I, I did something wrong, I wouldn't say, sorry, I just run to addiction. It's like, well, no wonder it's hard for me because I never learned how to do that. And addiction is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's treacherous in so many ways. And I've used that term multiple times today, but it is, it is the thing that keeps us stuck. And the cool part is, is there is a choice. The cool part is, is it can be let go of. And it is possible. And if you don't think that that is, trust me when I say, I know what it's like to spin for like 31 years in this mental obsession that gives no rest. It gives no reprieve. It is possible to live with peace. It is possible to live without the grind so what, addiction. You're, so what you're saying, Kobe, is on the other side of this certainty that the addiction provides, it's actually not bad. Like you, you're surviving, <laughs> right? It. It's worth giving yeah. up. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I mean, it really, really, really is. And when when um, I do dailies, when I stop and and retro, retrospectively think about my day as I check in, when I listen to my spiritual devotional or some kind of personal development, it's so much easier to grow having already let go. Yeah. It's amazing what happens when you step into the dark, when you say, I, I want to say step into the light, actually. When you say enough, I'm done addiction, and then all of a sudden things start to happen. You start to realize who you really are. You start to to create deeper connection with God and with your partner, your spouse, if you're in a marriage, um, you start to recognize life purpose and, and you start to realize that God is doing something with you through your addiction, through your recovery. And, and so like all these things start to open up that you have no idea await you 
on the other side of addiction once you let go of it. Um, but it requires, and there's no way around it, it requires a leap of faith. It requ- requires a threshold of vulnerability that you have to step through because you're so used to that comforting blanket that Kobe's talking about. Um, it's the only way. But listening to Kobe, seeing other guys who have done it, you can see that you're not going to die and you're going to be okay if you do it. Amen. Here, here. <laughs> Preach. Preach, my friend. Yeah, this is, this is a really important topic um, as far as grieving the loss, letting go of addiction, and it is possible. And this is also why, if any of you have ever wondered, why can't I, why, why won't my partner let me help them? Why are they resistant to me calling the therapist for them? You know, why, why do I have to, to, to parent them? It's because they've got to be able to choose it. They've yeah. got to be able to choose to let go. And, um, and it's it, as hard and as scary as it is, it's possible and you can do it. And as scary as it is to deal with unknowns, a support network around you will allow you to do it. And, and no one is ever going to ask you to do it by yourself. Ever. No, we're not meant to. All right. Um, thank you guys for being open and honest about this conversation that I think is probably a little uncomfortable, at least in the beginning to listen to for our listeners. So if you made it this far, way to go. Um, if you felt triggered and you stayed anyway, wow, way to go. Um, those triggers are just opportunities for you to be curious, right? There's more, there's more stuff and pain or whatever in there. Um, we really value hearing from you guys and we appreciate knowing where you're at with your relationship. It helps us pick better topics for the podcast. And so we're actually asking for some feedback here. So if you want to impact the future of our show, we're asking you to go to our website and click the link at the top. It's uh, a red banner, I believe. So it's over at beyond-enough.com. And just a couple quick little questions. Um, that's a really great place, especially um, if you're having, you know, feedback for the podcast specifically, head over there. Um, and um, that's it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being open and honest. Awesome. Thanks for see listening, you guys. you guys. We'll see you again.